Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. They come from the past and the future. There is nothing wrong with your radio. From inner space... To outer space. Risk is our business. Listen. With the single most important interview since God talked to Moses. The voices you are hearing are. The only good human is a dead human. The voices from Krypton. Like the lady said, this is Voices from Krypton, the podcast where we speak superhero. And this is the second part of our conversation with writer Will Murray, with whom we discuss his King Kong and Tarzan crossover novel, providing insight on how such a thing could be pulled off his feelings about works of fiction slipping into the public domain, and writing the Destroyer novels, whose main character, Remo Williams, will be adapted to television in an upcoming series. Who has the rights to what with King Kong? It seems like a confusing mess with rights to... You know, when we got to do King Kong, and especially when you got to do King Kong versus Tarzan, which is another major crossover I've done... Yeah. Marion C. Cooper wanted to do in 1935 a Technicolor Tarzan movie where King Kong met Tarzan. He found he didn't have the rights that he thought he had and that he couldn't get the Tarzan rights. And then about maybe 20, 30 years ago, Dark Horse tried to do a graphic novel of Tarzan and King Kong. They couldn't untangle the rights. Uh, The rights are, in fact, uh, divided among different parties. And so, you know, the rights that I plug into are largely book rights, but they're also media rights. But I don't do media stuff with, with, with my book because my cover artist, Joe DeVito, has got his, he's got his own Kong stuff going on. They right. just announced a, a, a Disney Plus Kong of Skull Island TV show. So that's, you know, I don't know that you'll see Tarzan on that. But, right. you know, um, so, you know, I couldn't tell you in 25 words or less <laughs> where all the rights reside, I just know that they're they're not they're not easily uh, exculpated, so that someone you know someone could say, okay, it's this and that. Okay, here is where they reside. I mean, you know, someone a lawyer could explain it to you, but I could. Right. All right, fair enough. You know, and Kong has certainly gotten around in more recent years. He was on the Planet of the Apes. I haven't read that one yet. Uh, mm-hmm. But you did Tarzan and Kong. Was that was that as fun for you as doc savage and kong or yeah because what i did is is i i i i I, it's based on the novelization that predated the movie so some of the details are different so i read that and i watched the 33 movie and i wrote it in a cinematic way so that when you read the book it's the denim and 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 armstrong characters uh that you're familiar with from the movie, you can hear their voices in your head, even though it's not based on the movie, it's based on the novelization. Right. And so I took a different writing approach. I was writing it in a, in a, in a cinematic way. And um, Joe, when we did Skull Island, the Doc Savage novel, Joe DeVito wanted me to say, you know, this is selling. Let's, 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 let's do another one. 
and we got the rights to Tarzan after we got the rights to Kong. And he said, well, that's a natural. Let's send Tarzan to Skull Island. And I just, well, I just did a book on Skull Island. And, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. Right. So for about a year, uh, it was in the back of my mind while I wrote other things. And it was on the weekend of Edgar Rice Burroughs' birthday. And Facebook was lighting up with, you know, happy birthday, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Like my attention went back to it. And I had this inspiration. And the inspiration, uh, I wrote a, uh, again, a, a, an opening to it uh, that I sent to Joe that he really liked. But the, what I came up with was um, um, in the movie and in the book, both, because I imagine a novelization was written from the screenplay, a version of the screenplay. Right. And um, in 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 the movie, you know, they gas Kong when, when they corner him on Skull Island, and the next thing you know, he, he's in Broadway. And I started thinking, we know they got him to, to New York City by boat, by the freighter that they arrived in. But how did they, where did they go? And, you know, and I looked at a map and I said, well, you know, you can't take that ship through the Suez Canal if you go in one direction because there are port inspectors. They would never let let the ship go past. Right. The other direction, the Panama Canal, you have the same problem. And I said, well, the only way to get from Skull Island and the Indian Ocean to New York City is to circumvent Africa. If you circumvent Africa, that brings Tarzan, I mean, King Kong into proximity with Tarzan. And suddenly Kong in Africa, where he doesn't belong, where Tarzan wouldn't want him, and where if he got off the, if he got off the ship and was, you know, rampaging around Africa, it would be in every... every everybody's interest to get him back on the boat. And we know he's going to end up in New York city and suddenly Kong loose in Africa being a problem for Tarzan, uh, as opposed to some sappy idea where they team up or something. Right. I said, that's the story. And Joe thought that was great. And, you know, it was plausible, you know, there's a, there's a plausible reason they had to go to go by Africa. There's plausible reasons that'd be a problem with the ship and Kong would escape. Uh, and that was the jumping off point. So that's another great success of mine from the standpoint of a of a uh, crossover that was long, and I mean long, dreamed of by fans, and no one could put it together except me and Joe DeVito and the various other parties like Ed, Ed, Jim Sullos of Edgar Rice Burroughs and you know other you know legal people right. who were part of the 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 hammering out the details i've been very fortunate i've been writing i didn't mean to do it it started with skull on but i've been writing crossovers that everybody has wanted to read including me i've done two doc savage meets the shadow crossovers i've written two tarzan goes to mars and meets john carter of mars the second one is about to come out in, uh, in next year and you know any one of these and i'm not boasting but any one of these any writer of this type pulp type or you know would just kill to write and somehow through largely the 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 involvement of joe devito as my cover artist you know opened the door to kong helped open the door to tarzan and um 
suddenly I've done uh, uh, suddenly <laughs> over a ten year period <laughs> I have written. I somehow I have found myself the author of all these books that were, you know, you know, seeing from a rights point of view is impossible for the longest time. Right. You know, the only thing I haven't done that I really want to do, and I don't know if I could pull it off, Tarzan meets uh, Doc Savage. That's the other only other one that's never been done. That. You know, Philip Jose Farmer played around with it with his versions of the characters, but it's never done as a as a rights as a as a as a uh, as a authorized book. But given what you've done and and the fact you have worked with the, I mean, obviously Doc Savage isn't a problem, but you've worked with the Burroughs Estate doing the Tarzan uh, uh, crossover. Do you think it would be that difficult to get them to say yes? Let's have Doc Savage meet Tarzan. Well, it'd be more of a problem from the Condon Ass point of view because they they have launched a new Doc Savage series in hardcover. And, you know, our books are successful on our level, but we're not successful the way uh, a James Patterson co-authored book is. Right. But you never know. Maybe the door will open again. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but no, no I, I, think, I think it could be, if Condon Ass were agreeable, I think it's very doable. Uh, but, you know, I have to also say as a writer, you know, financially, I, I take a real hit when, when there are two rights holders and I have to each give them an equal uh, amount. Uh, so I take, you know, I take a, a hit in terms of the, the, the proceeds, but it's sure. worth it because the books sell better. But also at my this point in my life, I'd rather write books that matter to me than make all the money I could. If I wanted to make real money, I'd write romance novels or something. Absolutely. Well, you you are definitely followed, you know, following your passions. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said for that. Uh, and you've been successful doing it. And that's a good thing, too. So that's uh, uh, that's really great. So and the thing with Tarzan, though, and this this can all this stuff confuses me. Isn't Tarzan and John Carter in the public domain at this point? I think the earliest novels are, but they're trademark characters. Right, you and can't use I their name to, on the cover or anything like that. Yeah, but you know, I have to say, contrary to a lot of writers who who I, I I see posting on Facebook saying things I can hardly wait for the shadow is public domain. I'll write my own shadow novels. Right. I, I, I don't see why intellectual property should ever go into the public domain as characters or even as books. Uh, when the copyright laws were first invented, they were to keep available important work, writings of science, politics, religion, things that mattered, things that were literally uh, in the public interest. You know, books went out of copyright so that they would never die or be held hostage by, you know, the, the descendants of copyright holders. Novels were not a big deal then. Uh, and serial characters were almost unknown. And it seems to me that if I buy a house or have a house built on a lot, my descendants could still be owning that house two or 300 years from now. Right. I don't see why my descendants couldn't benefit from the copyrights of the books I write. If I will, those books copyrights to, to them. Right. You know, I just don't think there's a public interest in the public owning Doc Savage or having access to Doc Savage and Tarzan or whatever. I think they should be perpetually held by whoever was is the legitimate uh, uh, heir 
Um, now I write Sherlock Holmes stories, and I don't pay royalties to the Conan Doyle estate because the, it's it's, it's public, public domain, domain now. Right. But if if but I would happily do so if 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 they would license it to me, and it was you know and they weren't in the public domain. I I think you know the Edgar Rice Burroughs people, which is a, a family run business or a family business, um, and has been in existence for about a hundred years. I don't see why they can't, as a corporation, own their copyrights in perpetuity. Right. You know, I I, I don't see why why something I create or they create or anybody creates that's an entertainment thing and not a public service should should be lost and anybody could do anything they want with it. That's but my view. I and I get it. I mean, but right now that is the state of state of things. That is the, that is the that is the law. You know, I mean every year there's big heralding of this is in the public domain now. <laughs> you know, every January. So when I when I, when I Joe, when Joe DeVito and I went to the Edgar Rice Burroughs people about um, Tarzan, right? You know, it, it, it was no thought to, hey, you know, um, we're gonna do, we're gonna do this. Just letting you know. I mean, you know, let's. Let, what deal can we hammer out? And they were very happy with the deal, and I was very happy with the deal. And uh, yeah, when we got around to King Kong Tarzan, there were two licensors, and that you know that seriously cut into my my earnings but as i said before it was worth it it's a but, great book people really like it the reviews are wonderful it's uh, still selling i saw last two conventions i went to it was my best seller wow that's great you know and i was surprised because i have so many books that are crossovers that you know it, it shifts a little from what people are interested in that particular show but um uh so i'm happy to pay the money i think they they're entitled to it Right. The fact that maybe I could publish some, as some people done I, that maybe I could publish this stuff without their permission, I you know I, I just think it's disrespectful to the memory of Edgar Rice Burroughs, not to not to you know tender a, a reasonable royalty to um, to the people who are who own the trademarks. Right, and plus, like you said, you couldn't. I mean, not to, I know this is a different moral stance. I'm not talking about a moral stance right now, but yeah. legally you couldn't say Tarzan meets King Kong on the cover no, because you couldn't. you couldn't use Tarzan's name on the cover only inside. In fact, when, uh, when, when we announced this, I looked on Amazon and someone had done an authorized Tarzan King Kong novel and they had to get ceased, cease and desisted uh, because it was completely, unaut- it was apparently poorly written from what I gathered. Um, it was authorized or un- unauthorized, you said? Unauthorized. Oh, unauthorized. okay. Okay. Yeah. So we had, you know, they had to kind of shut that down. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, now, now moving on to a character like Remo Williams, the Destroyer, uh, and you heard the news, of course, this week, right? Yeah. That, you know, about the TV show that potentially, I mean, uh, uh, that they're going to do. First of all, what is your thought of taking a character like Remo, because they've already tried it a few times, it hasn't quite worked, uh, and adapting him to another medium. Is he ripe for that sort of thing? Yeah, I think he is. I mean, you always have to resize the characters for the medium. A movie is different from a TV show, although the the, the line of, uh, between them in terms of budgets and, and effects is, is certainly blurring. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
I think characters like Doc or The Shadow or Remo Williams probably work, would work best as episodic TV than movies, but they also can work as movies. Right. Um, uh, because those characters tend to be fun in terms of multiple adventures. And sometimes one movie isn't enough to capture what they are. And, and also you can't, you can't develop the characters as well in one movie or even right. two movies that you can in a TV program. So I think it's a great idea. Uh, the Rima Williams movie from 1985, you know, was a victim of, you know, a lesser budget, a script that was not ideal and, um, and probably other factors. Uh, it was, it's, it became a very successful movie on UHF for a long time and now on rentals and, and, and streaming and whatever. So it's been vindicated as a fun movie. It, it wasn't, it just was a more of a B movie than an A movie. Right. Uh, the TV pilot they did was okay, but you know, it didn't get picked up. That's not unusual. Right. So I don't think any of those things are negatives. I know that Shane Black wanted to do a story a movie about 10 years ago and, you know, development hell, the same as a Doc Savage movie. Shane Black, I think, was going to do a Doc Savage yeah. movie at, 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 at uh, Sony as well. In fact, there was a, before COVID, just before COVID, I, I, I Condé Nast reached out to me to say that uh, Sony wants to do a Doc Savage TV show. Can you help us by giving us a list of maybe the top 12 Doc Savage novels that would make good, you know, TV episodes? And I, I, I sent them that. And then COVID hit and the project shut down and it's never come back. Mm. So, you know, I think both these properties, which are very similar in the sense that they're adventure action with humor and not always taking itself seriously. Uh, one is more the story is more satirical and more contemporary in its, its satire. Doc Savage is more tongue in cheek, uh, while still being good adventure stories. The Naturals. It's just that you know the characters in both series are way way uh, exaggerated and over the top, and they will probably have to be toned down a bit to to work on the small screen or even the big screen. You know, you need a, you need actors who can bring off this type of characters and maintain that extremely delicate balance that I was always good at when I wrote both series of telling a more or less serious story with elements of humor, satire, over the topness so that you could read it on both levels. You could say, OK, this story is going way over the cliff, but it's fun. And the writer is taking it seriously, even though he's having fun. with it. Right. That's that's the challenge of those characters. The balance between high adventure, action adventure, and the tongue-in-cheek or satirical element. And as a character, when you look at Remo Williams, what do you think is the appeal? I mean, what is it about the character itself that you think makes it obviously very appealing in print, uh, but could mm -hmm. make it, but make him an interesting film or TV hero? Which TV is the way it's looking. Well, you know, he's not the typical muscle-bound hero. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's an ex, you know, Vietnam vet turned cop, and he was a certain type of American until he he was trained in Sinanju by the Sinanju Master Chun Chun. The people pronounce it differently, um, and um, he becomes through diet and other exercises kind of a skinny guy, a guy who can walk into a room. He, he usually wears polo shirts and chinos and 
penny loafers without socks. He, he would not look like a guy who would be a threat or a menace. He would just be some guy walking uh, in off the street, but he was the deadliest man in the room. And he was deadly on a superhuman level. When they started Remo, he was a martial arts character, but they moved him fairly quickly into being kind of Superman. He could move super fast. He could dodge bullets. I mean, he wasn't in bulletproof and he couldn't fly, but increasingly his, his abilities became more and more metaphysical, mystical, super duper human. And I think that there, there's the appeal of that to make him to make him different from the other action adventure guys of that era, like the executioner who was about guns, who was also a Vietnam vet, and and the butcher and the, the death merchant and all those things that ran on forever and ever. Uh, I think he, he I think his appeal partly is because he was just such a different type of hero. You know, he wasn't he didn't fit into known categories and he was he had this relationship with Chun, which was a very, you know, um, argumentative relationship. But, you know, in the beginning, Chun was under instructions if he, he received the word to kill Remo, the project had failed. But over time they became devoted to each other, even when they didn't get along and a real affection, you know, came in and, you know, the series got more metaphysical and got into this Remo's, the, the avatar of Shiva, the destroyer on earth, you know, talking about this and talking about Doc Savage, you talk what's the appeal. It's hard to say in a capsule because this both series started out more seriously than they ended up developing into, okay. uh, in terms of tone and some readers went along for the ride and some didn't. I think both of them, it was, it's the appeal of the superhuman hero, the guy who can take on any cha challenge and overcome any obstacle, but it's also the appeal of this guy's different. This isn't Rambo. This isn't the executioner. This isn't, you know, name your hero. Who's an ordinary sized guy who does or who does extraordinary things this is a these are super characters but they're super characters in a prose level and they're written so that you even when they they're over the top you say okay i, I can go with that right the writing the writing the writing is 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 the right tone so i can accept this story absolutely and that's I'm a sorry. long answer no that's, that's okay we like long answers. Well, we were like but long I'd answers. like to give you something. I, I wish I could give you something simple. Nah, I don't, don't need it. There is something simple. Right. Absolutely. You know, it's almost surprising, though, that these characters, especially in the case of Doc Savages, had so many false starts, it seems, has not really, outside of that terrible George Powell film, uh, has not had the opportunity to live in, in, in film or television. It's like really shocking to me after well, all these you know, years in the popularity. There, there are various reasons for that. The creative reasons is of course, Hollywood, when there's a dud, they don't want to go back and remake something that's a dud. Right. And when something isn't fish or fowl, when something is high adventure, uh, but also um, doesn't take itself entirely seriously, finding the right tone it's difficult. I was on the set of the Shadow movie, the Alex Baldwin movie. Yeah. And as I watched them film various scenes, they would film it three ways. Straight, comedic, and somewhere in between. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. And I think that's, that's done 
more often than you would think. And so when the cutter cuts the film, he's picking, he or she is picking the best scenes to make the movie, you know, make the story uh, come alive. The best scenes aren't always consistent with other best scenes. Right. So you get a movie that's tonally all over the place. So if the if if you go into the movie as a director, as a screenwriter, a director, and actors, and you're saying, okay, what's the tone here? What's is this a serious movie? Is this over the top? Is this is this Doctor No or is this you know Octopussy or whatever? In other words, what's the what's you know James Bond had different tones depending on the actors. Rod the Marjor Moore, Moore James Bonds had a different tone than the Sean Connery. Uh, what are you James talking Bond. about? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 you could you could say well they're 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 compatible, but you and I know that the over the topness of Roger Moore probably wouldn't have been tolerated under James Bond. The James Bonds had a more serious spine and were taken more serious, even with the humor that was in it, or at least the send up part of the humor. You mean the Sean Connery Bond movies? The Sean Connerys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, um, this is a problem for these characters. How serious a Doc Savage movie do you do? Or how humorous a Doc Savage movie do you do? The Marvel movies have been great about balancing the, the gravity of the storyline with the inherent humor in how these characters interact and the inherent drama. You know, right. it's difficult. To, it's, as I say, as a writer, I've been lucky to write Doc Savage and the Destroyer where other writers have found it very difficult to find the middle ground between we're telling a serious story, or at least we're taking the storyline seriously, but we're also going to be over the top in places. We're also going to push the envelope. We're also going to do, we're going to do goofy things sometimes. We're going to, the carriages are going to take these goofy things seriously. I did a destroyer once. You know, there was, there's a concept called a rail gun. And a rail gun is a, is a magnetic cannon. There are two rails inside them and they're magnetically charged. They will propel an object at super duper sonic speeds. Right. And I had a, a, a Middle Eastern despot, more or less Muammar Gaddafi type character. And he wanted to attack the U.S., but he didn't have any intercontinental ballistic missiles. But his scientists invented a rail gun and they could fire a projectile that would hit, you know, New York City or Washington, but the projectile would be just a lump of metal. It didn't do much. Right. He came up with the idea of buying up old steam locomotives, filling the boilers with nerve gas, and firing them with a rail gun. Okay, perfect fit. Rail guns, uh, locomotives, and, right. uh, and 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 basically hitting Washington and New York with nerve gas and when the u.s investigators would investigate the crater looking for the pieces of the icbm that that hit new york they'd find an 1840 wheel from a, a, a steam locomotive right actually shooting a train into it right yeah it's like the, the the debris made no sense but they had to take it seriously now the reader can be laughing at this but the reader also knows that the, in the the military investigators are finding this these anomalous fragments in a smoking crater, and it's a national emergency, and they got to find out where these steam locomotives are coming from, and who's filling them with, with nerve gas. Right. So serious threat, but humorous execution. 
and being able to come up with something that has a, a tongue in cheek, but serious uh, side or a serious, but tongue in cheek side is going to be the challenge of doing the destroyer on TV. If they choose to do the destroyer in it's all of its dimensions. Don't go away. The third and final part of our interview with Will Murray is available now. And to be sure not to miss any future episodes, please subscribe to this podcast, give us a five-star review, and tell your friends about us. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.